2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. A recent report from the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center, it reveals black veterans are more likely to leave the military with other than honorable discharge status, and that prevents access to VA benefits. Today on Where We Live, we discuss these uh, disparities and how they're being addressed where we live. Plus, a Marine veteran from Hamden is suing the VA, alleging racial discrimination Mr. Conley Monk Jr. will join us today. Veterans, we want to hear from you. Please give us a call at 1-888-720-WNPR or go to 888-720-9677. Conley Monk Jr. came home to Hamden in 1970 after serving in the Vietnam War. He didn't leave on his own terms. He was discharged after an altercation in Okinawa brought on by PTSD An incident that was categorized within the military as other than honorable. Mr. Monk spent decades trying to access basic benefits like uh, disability coverage. Until this appeal with the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims in 2015, it ultimately changed how these kinds of cases are heard, formally allowing class action lawsuits. Coming up, Mr. Monk is going to join us along with his representation at Yale Law School's Veterans Legal Services Clinic. We'll discuss the new lawsuit they have filed against the VA alleging racial discrimination. While the VA has not responded to the suit directly, as the music will hopefully subside in my head, I'm getting, like, distracted here today. Look at me. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm unfurling here before your very eyes. Uh, while the VA has not responded to the suit directly, Press Secretary Terrence Hayes, he says in a written statement, emailed the Connecticut public, that the agency is working to address institutional racism and to review some policies, Hayes says that throughout history, they've been unacceptable, their d- disparities in both VA benefits, decisions and military status due to racism, which have wrongly left black veterans without access to VA care and benefits. We're actively working to right these wrongs. That's what the VA says. And joining us now to discuss... What's happening is Conley Monk Jr., a Marine veteran and founder of the National Veterans Council for Legal Redress. Good morning, Mr. Monk. Thank you so much for coming on. Good morning. And thank you for your service. And I thank you for acknowledging it. And we also have just on the line right now Michael Sullivan. He's a student intern at Yale Law School's Veteran Legal Services Clinic. Good morning, Michael. Hey, good morning. We have Michael on in case uh, Mister Monk and I are having a uh, are having an intense conversation, and we need somebody to help us with some legal terms or something like that. If there's something that we missed or anything like that, he might close the loop on it. Uh, for the folks that are listening at home or on the go, you can join the conversation eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven eight 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 seven two zero W N P R, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Mister Monk, uh, can you just uh, can you just give us an idea? <clears throat> Of an honor other than honorable discharge status and how that's something that you didn't deserve at that time and and, and the efforts to uh, kind of rectify that over the years
3: yes oh let me say that um, I didn't deserve it I served in Vietnam honorably you know I, I fought and I did what uh, was required of me I did yield to the call of my country I didn't evade it, you know, um, and what the less than honorable veteran discharge does to a veteran, it prohibits us from receiving our medical benefits. It prohibits us from receiving our educational benefits. It stopped me from going back to get my job that I had before I went in the military. I was working at the VA hospital. And I thought that I would come back home and go right back into my job. But, um, it prohibited me from getting my job back. It stopped my family from benefiting from it. I couldn't get the homeowner's loan. My kids couldn't get, uh, the school. They should have been able with the disability that I, uh, had from my service. They should have been able to receive educational benefits themselves and and other benefits, which all that would stop because of the less than honorable discharge.
2: Why is this fight so important? It's not like it's just like a fight that you've had for for a couple of years or something like that, or or you've had to try to claw back these benefits over a short period of time. This is happening over 50 years.
3: Well, this fight continues because not only am I affected by it, there's thousands of other Black veterans that also is uh, undergoing the same type of uh, problems that I'm encountering. There was thousands of vets that came back with bad discharges from the Vietnam War, which should have never happened. Uh, when I came home in the 70s, 1970, I was... Fighting for amnesty at that time because I knew I was wrongfully uh, discharged with a bad discharge. So, you know, I felt amnesty was appropriate. I was involved in uh, other veterans' organizations fighting for amnesty. As a matter of fact, I was involved with the mothers for amnesty that was fighting for their sons to come back. That was the draft evaders. And I most definitely knew that the Vietnam vet was entitled to the amnesty before the draft evaders.
2: It wasn't. I talk about fifty years, something like that. It, it took forty-five years. Uh, this this appeal that Mister Monk began to receive disability compensation after forty-five years. But obviously, the fight continues because it's just the disability compensation that happened at that point. And only in twenty twenty did the VA recognize that he should have been eligible for benefits. Since his initial application some 49 years earlier. So, Mr. Monk, this suit is based on records obtained through uh, FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, showing a statistically significant difference in benefits claims outcomes between black and white veterans. What are these findings and, and how does your experience kind of run parallel to, to, to what is, is seen in the numbers?
3: Well, you know, um, my attorney can speak on that. But in terms of the numbers, you know, how many black veterans was uh, it was indifferent from the white veterans, and the white vi- white veterans was able to get their disability claims uh, at a higher percentage than than uh, black veterans. And also, I, my understanding is they was even getting paid more than what the black veterans was getting paid. Uh, so, you know, the, there was a lot that went on there that should have never happened. We fought in the same military service. We served, served the same country. We fought in the same war. We should have been receiving the same benefits and the same, you know, uh, pay. But that wasn't the case.
2: Michael, we we talked about the legal aspect of this, and I think uh, Mr. Monk deferred to you on that. Anything you want to say uh, in regards to in, in in regards to that lawsuit and and Conley's experience, perhaps sort of
4: running parallel to that? Absolutely, and this touches on some of the different pillars that we're hoping to address with this lawsuit. Um, one of which is, of course, addressing the discrimination that Mr. Monk uh, was subjected to while trying to obtain his benefits at the VA, but What's really interesting is the data that was obtained through these FOIA requests shows that at least for the last two decades, every single year, there was a higher chance that a white veteran would receive their disability compensation and a higher chance that a black veteran would not. And that goes on until 2020, which seems to indicate that if a black veteran who enlisted in the military in 2018 were to have left and gone to the VA this week, they would be at a higher chance of having their disability claim denied, seemingly on the basis of race. And so with this lawsuit, we're also hoping to shed some more light on those practices and lead to their cessation. And then a third pillar is, this is a very novel lawsuit. As far as we're aware, we haven't seen any other use of a Federal Tort Claim Act lawsuit for racial reparations. And so we're hoping to lay the legal groundwork that other black veterans can pursue legal redress through this manner.
2: That's Michael Sullivan. He's a student intern at Yale Law School's Veterans Legal Services Clinic. And he's on the phone and he's saying that essentially this information that they got was over a 20-year period from 2000 to 2020. Uh, these uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, n- numbers that they got uh, through a Freedom of Information Act request saying that year over year, it's white people that are more likely to get these benefits, white veterans that are more likely to get these benefits over black veterans. Mr. Monk, I want to go back to you here. The VA says they're actively working to right these wrongs and, 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 and talking about how historically the benefits claims process and decisions haven't benefited black veterans. How, how would you say that? Do you feel comfortable answering that? Do you feel like, uh, do, would, do you feel like they're actively working to right the wrongs? What, what's your thought on that?
3: Well, you know, Uh, I would have thought that they would have been working to right the wrong. You know, this goes back further than me. It goes back to my father, which was a World War II vet who served in Normandy, fought, you know, honorably in Normandy, and came home and put in a disability claim in 1942 and was denied. And, you know, uh, if it was a white vet, I would say, that they would have been approved versus, you know, the black veterans. Now that's, I, I understood some of that that went on back then. But now, up in, in, in this time era, shouldn't happen. It shouldn't, it should never, never happen. And, and it continued until just recently. So I, you know, the, <laughs> the proof, is in the putting, you know, in the action, in them showing us, you know, until I see that they have made a change, a difference, I don't believe it.
2: Mr. Monk, you went back on uh, uh, against the VA over your father, or at least uh, you you've been trying to claw back some benefits for your father as well as I understand. Is that correct?
5: Yes, or at least some recognition? Correct. Go
2: ahead. Sorry.
3: No, that is correct. You know, um, my whole family, my siblings, we all were scarred and prohibited from receiving what we should have been entitled to. You know, my father, he showed that, you know, there was not only him, there was other black veterans that, uh, underwent the same discrimination and, you know, um, Non-recognition for their service, their honorable, honorable service, and 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 you know what it did it carried over to me, to my 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 siblings, that you know we should have been able to receive educational benefits coming through my father's disability, but uh, once again, I I'll believe it. Once I see it happen, because what I'm what I'm fighting for is not only me, I, I'm leading the charge for other black veterans, you know, for other veterans. I want to see them, you know, benefit from it and their families benefit from it. And I I would like to see this stop. You know, this this shouldn't shouldn't carry on any further.
2: Mr. Monk, I don't know uh, when you were apprised of the numbers at what point, but when these numbers over 20 years come in, I understand that you know that this is this is why you follow a lawsuit. You know that there's some some disparities that's something that you believe in, but were you what was your reaction when you actually see the numbers in front of you? Did you did you think it was it was even more profound than you thought? What were your thoughts?
3: Well, you know, I uh I always knew that it was indifference. I mean, there was a difference between the way the black veterans was was treated versus the white veterans. Um, But when I seen the numbers, it confirmed it, that there's been an injustice that's been going on for years. And I pray that, you know, we did come to an end, end to this, you know, injustice.
2: I want to talk to you about the National Veterans Council for Legal Redress. That's a nonprofit veteran service organization that works to secure benefits for veterans and their families. Data requested by the Veterans Council and the Black Veterans Project shows up in the lawsuit. How's this sort of emblematic of what your organization is supposed to do for veterans?
3: Well, you know, um... When I came home from Vietnam, I knew that, you know, the, I had to get involved in starting something to fight back and, and starting the National Veterans Because First of all, when I started the organization in the... Uh, I, I came up with the idea in the 70s when I came back from Vietnam in 1970. But uh, we started it with the undesirables that was the name of our organization because i was trying to draw all the undesirable veterans out of the woodwork and that we was very effective in doing that so i changed the name to the national veterans council for legal redress and you know um we knew that we needed to get uh, to put a positive light on our organization i knew that I had to do some positive things. Like, for instance, we uh, we came up with the idea of building a monument for the Vietnam vets because the government wasn't doing it. And we was looked upon as rapists and baby... Ki- I mean, um, yeah, rapists and baby killers and everything else when we came back from Vietnam. So um, I started... And the organization, I thought that you know, in starting the the monument, the I came up with the idea, and we raised a quarter million dollars to have that monument built. I got involved in building a committee that was compiled of the mothers, fathers, and family members of the deceased veterans. They was on that committee, and we was very effective. We got the city of New Haven to initiate, giving us the money towards the monument. And what I came up with the idea of seven surrounding cities, the havens, to also do the same thing that New Haven did, and they they did that. And we were successful in building our monument, 1980.
2: There's a statue memorializing deceased Vietnam veterans that's in New Haven that Mr. Monk is talking about. Uh, his organization, Conley Monk Jr., worked very hard to to get that up. And I understand you want another one for the living as well, or at least several more.
3: That's correct. Well, what had happened was we had, uh, we had promised the veterans that we was going to put up a living uh, monument for the living Vietnam vets. But I have got sick and, you know, I could not continue. And when I stopped, the project stopped, you know, so, um, we had got, had a, a model of a wall going around the V. We was going to build a four foot wall, uh, with the names of all the living Vietnam vets on it and the big V. Let me tell you, this V is uh, it's, uh, 11 feet tall. It's in somewhat in harmony with the one in Washington, D.C. It's a V, and it's uh, anchored 11 feet in the ground, and it's uh, estimated to be up for 2,000 years. And if you look through it, you look straight through it, it's supposed to take you straight back to Vietnam. You know, so... It was uh uh the gateway into New England. You had to ride right by our monument going to Hartford or into New England. So
2: A lasting you know, we, uh, a lasting legacy and hopefully something that uh can help you put behind or or honor at least these fifty years that you've had to fight uh on behalf of your service record and be on behalf of the service records of many other service members. Yes. And,
3: well, we done changed the, the idea of the design of the monument now. We want to uh, call it the Pier Project and have a reflection of the V. We're going to have a V going out into the water. Um, so that's the reason why we call it the Pier Project. Uh, we're in the process of trying to get a model made, and we have the architectures at Yale, that's going to be the ones that uh, help us design this.
2: I don't. I don't want to gloss over this because you said earlier that you got sick. I understand that uh, you you had diabetes at some point throughout this process, and maybe even suffered a stroke. Like there, you're going through a lot personally as you're trying to as you're trying to to continue this fight. Can you just tell me about how you're doing? How how are you, Conley? I just want to make sure I'm checking in on Hello. you to see how you're doing.
3: I've been truly blessed and I thank God because I'm 74 years of age and you know, um, years ago it was estimated that most of the Vietnam vets that was exposed to agent orange would, uh, be re- real sick with some form of cancers or either. They might even expire. expired. Um, so I've been blessed. I did contract diabetes, which they, uh, saying that it could have came from Agent Orange. Um, I am 50%, uh, disability, received this 50% disability for Agent Orange. I receive 100% for PTSD because, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of problems over the years and didn't have any help from the VA you know I couldn't go to the VA and and get any kind of services because of my discharge so I had the you know with the blessings of my family I had to fight this fight on my own I had to work two full-time jobs in order to get what I needed and, and, and in order to to get any type of home uh you know uh saving my money and i couldn't get the home owner's the home uh owner's loan the home loan from the VA so i was excluded from everything but i've been i've been doing good i have not only diabetes i have uh you know i had a a stroke a major stroke where i couldn't uh, i was declared legally blind I couldn't walk for so far, and then, uh, you know, I had to, it seemed like I had to sit and rest. I also have uh, cirrhosis of the liver, they said, you know. Um, I have a series of medical problems that could have been related to my military service. Uh, of course, I'm uh, a Marine, so I served in Camp Lejeune. I could have been uh, contaminated by the water pollution in Camp Lejeune, so I have a series of medical problems that's related to my military service, uh,
2: Mr. Muck. It would be hard for me to say that I'm I'm not happy to uh, that I that I wouldn't be happy to see you here to make it to 74 and see through all the all the fight that you've done here. Very very happy to be talking to you here this morning. Yes, yeah. and thank and you to God Michael. Bless. And thank you to Michael Sullivan as well for joining us. I really appreciate you both coming on this morning here on Where We Live. And well, Thank you for having this? me. Yes, I'm sorry, Mike. I just wanted to
3: find my final statement is to say that I've been blessed with the, having Yale Law School. And Michael, uh, you're truly a blessing to me and and the other students. So I thank God for
2: you. Coming up... Mike,
3: uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
4: I don't know, not at all.
2: Thank you both for coming on very much. I appreciate it. And, and coming up, we're going to have a new report from the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center showing us how racial disparities play out among veterans leaving the military. The lead authors are going to join us. Veterans and their loved ones, we want to hear from you. Call us at 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
1: So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
2: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. There's a new report out there from the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center showing how racial disparities play out among veterans leaving the military. Across four out of the five military branches, roughly one million separation documents they obtained, black service members were approximately one and a half times as likely as the white service members to receive an other than honorable discharge rather than honorable discharge, and approximately twice as likely as the white service members to receive what's called a general discharge. Joining me now to discuss, I have Alden Pinkham. She's on Zoom, uh, joining us from the Connecticut Bar Association and the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. Good morning, Alden.
5: Good morning, Frankie. Thanks for having me on.
2: Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it very much. I just want to I do want to invite people to talk to us this morning. They can call us 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. If they want to speak about veterans and benefits more generally, they can call us in. Alden, you got to hear from Conley Monk. You get to talk to to, to, to Mr. Monk a lot, I'm sure. What's What's it like hearing him talk about what he's gone through in his service career?
5: Oh, yes. Mr. Monk's story um I mean, he should really be commended for sharing this. His experiences are very hard for veterans to speak about even decades later. And it's really veterans like Conley, like other Black veterans in Connecticut who have come to us and talked to us about their um, experiences in military service. That made us realize the need for this report um, to understand what is really happening when it comes to race and military separations
2: i just want to say that we're talking about military separations we're talking about these uh less than honorable discharges wherever how they they characterize it bad paper things like that and if we want to go even further the in the statement the va talks about institutional racism i mean this is not like just an isolated thing that happened in vietnam it's just uh want to make sure that uh we We as Connecticut Public, we've always tried to cover this like this has long existed. Google Atomic Veterans, something that Diane Orson covered a while back about veterans that had to go to testing that they had for atomic bombs and things like that. Why is this work so important, Alden?
5: It's it's so important because we have these two major institutions in our society, the military branches where people pledge their service with the understanding that they might not come home, but with the understanding that if they give their service to their country, they're going to have future opportunities um, for a better life. And that includes the promises of this other institution, the VA, to provide their healthcare, to compensate them if they can't work uh, due to a disability, to provide help purchasing a home with education, all of these promises that these institutions provide. And we, the American public benefit from the military service of all of those who volunteer and who serve. But the separation system that we have judges people on the way out. And those judgments then cut them off from all of those promises we made when we signed them up to serve to begin with.
2: Yeah, I want want to get into some of that terminology. Uh, You're talking about administrative separation. What are the differences in discharge status? Honorable, general, other than honorable, bad conduct, dishonorable. And what do we mean when we say bad paper?
5: Yes. So um, Conley spoke at length about the VA system. And I'm here going to be talking about the Department of Defense. So different system um, and the way in which military service members leave the service. So when someone leaves the service, they get a paper, uh, the DD-214, and on that paper lists their characterization of service. Basically, it's a judgment of how well you served your country. And This is a little bit nuanced, but I'll break it down into the five most commonly used characterizations of service. Um, There's honorable, which we all hear about, and that is the, the, the basic standard. And when someone receives an honorable discharge, they're eligible for all of the benefits and services the VA has to offer. They have to qualify for each individual benefit and service, but they're eligible to apply for them. Um, The next level down is a general discharge, which is not quite as good as an honorable. Um, You get access to most VA benefits and services, healthcare, disability compensation, pension, home loans, but not education benefits under the GI Bill. Then there's something called an other than honorable discharge, which is what Mr. Monk received. Um, In older times, it was also called an undesirable. And this discharge, the VA considers you not to be a veteran if you have this discharge. Now, there is a process where you can go to the VA and try to convince them that under the circumstances of your particular story, they should consider you to be a veteran. But at baseline, VA presumes you're not a veteran and not eligible for anything. And then there are... further. Yes, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. I apologize. (laughs) I know, it gets complex. Um, Bad conduct and dishonorable, these are punitive discharges. They're punishments. A veteran will only receive those if they were found guilty at a trial. Um, What makes the other than honorable discharge unique is that it's an administrative separation. It is essentially a discharge that has massive future consequences for the veteran but very little due process. It's essentially at the whim of their supervisors.
2: Listeners can find the full report that we're talking about here on our website at ctpublic.org, where we live. And uh, we just talked about general and other than honorable, but there's this really like handy flowchart on page 14 of that report. If you go to ctpublic.org slash where we live, showing direct impact discharge status having on VA benefits. Can you explain uh, how how did difference in status status result in barriers to access after discharge?
5: Yes. It all comes down to how we define a veteran. So somebody can get VA services if they're a veteran. And you would think that that would just be anybody who served. Um, I think it should be anybody who served. But the law states, so the law passed by Congress, that a veteran can receive benefits. Um, A veteran is someone who was discharged under conditions, quote, other than dishonorable. Now, you could interpret that to mean that everybody except people with a capital D dishonorable discharge qualify for BA benefits. And, um if you look at the legislative history of the statute, there's every reason to think that that's what Congress had in mind. However, the VA has interpreted this law differently. They've interpreted it to say, we get to decide if somebody doesn't have an honorable or a general discharge, whether you served under conditions that were dishonorable or other than dishonorable. And what that means by and large is that anyone with an other than honorable discharge, if they go to the VA, VA first looks at their record to determine what they think about that person's service. And unfortunately, a person's military record only tells one side of the story. It tells the military side of the story. Veterans have a right to ask for a hearing. Um, they have a right to have representation in these proceedings. Um, that can make a difference in final outcome, but the result is most veterans with an other than honorable discharge are denied by the VA, don't have full access to benefits, and the few that make it through the system, like Mr. Monk, their benefits are deferred for years and years and years in which they're not getting treatment or compensation for disabilities or the services that they need to come back into the civilian world
2: we've asked for phone calls into 888-720-WNPR and we're we're going to hear from a veteran here z from groton is going to share his experience of discrimination in military training thank you for joining us and thank you for your service z
0: hello thank you very much
2: what's on your mind this morning
0: so yeah, I just wanted to confirm that the the UCMJ and the NJPs is definitely higher for for black military members and also the the struggle to attain um, benefits for the same exact service and same exact injuries. but I also wanted to touch on the the suspension rate, the fail rate, the kickout rate that blacks undergo in training that comes after boot camp. So this training is called, AIT advanced individual training or, or um, a school in the Navy. It's the kind of internship you do before you go to your military job and you'll see, and it's, it's known, uh, everyone talks about it that black service members are kind of kicked out, failed and moved to less desirable jobs for the same academic performance at these schools and I wanted to point that out and add that to the conversation as well.
2: Thank you for joining us this morning, Z. I appreciate that. Uh, Alden, anything you want to say in response to what we heard from Z?
5: Yes, I think Z is absolutely right. So um, he mentioned uh, non judicial punishments and JPs, which we know um are inflicted on service members of color at higher rates um, there's a separate study on that a uh, 2017 study from an organization called protect our defenders um and then the failure rates in you know during basic training and then in a school afterwards we have not covered this in our study and i think it's very much something that the military should start looking into um To my knowledge, the only branch of the military that's really beginning to look into how implicit bias and potentially explicit bias is operating is the Air Force. So they've begun to look through things like job assignments, promotion rates, um, separations for airmen of color. The other services, it's very overdue that they follow suit and understand what's going on in their branches.
2: I want to follow up with you more on what we're talking about here and the report. But first, we're going to take a break. Uh, Alden Pinkham with the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. I want you to stay with us here. Coming up, we'll be joined by your colleague, Chelsea Donaldson, about her work to connect veterans with benefits, even if they have a bad paper discharge. Coming up, thank you so much listening to Where We Live right now. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter if you want to participate at Where We Live. And stay tuned after the break. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. In a second, we're going to dig into a new report with Chelsea Donaldson and Alden Pinkham from the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. Also, uh, Alden is also from the Connecticut Bar Foundation. But just before we get into that, I want to take a phone call from a listener here. Edward from Manchester, can you tell us about your father and his service, please?
1: Hi. Um, my, my father served in the Army uh, in the late 70s uh, to early 80s. And, uh, he recently passed, uh, from COVID. Uh, my father wasn't a very, uh, sickly person. He was probably the healthiest person I ever met. He was only, he was below retirement age. And, um, but he, but he had COVID. And, um, he, when he was in the service, he didn't, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it together here. I have to take my dad.
2: Take um, your time.
1: When, when, um, while he was in the service um he uh, was on base as he, uh, he lived on base and the wife his wife at the time was with another man and he he walked in on that and uh he had a mental uh you know breakdown uh so he left um they they considered him AWOL uh they brought him back and um from what i was under from what i understand uh, they re- they released him as uh, discharged uh, dishonorable uh, other other than, and um, he wasn't able to get a military funeral. He wasn't able to go to the VA, and I've always felt that had he had uh, the ability to have the VA um, available to him, he would have utilized those services and and not feel like he was able to. like handle COVID on his own. He thought he could muscle through it like it was just a flu. And, um, well, then here we are. So now I'm handling his estate by myself.
2: Edward, I'm so sorry to hear about your father because I could hear it in your voice how you're impacted by that and and the other than honorable discharge there not allowing you to have the military burial. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss, Edward.
1: Thank you very much.
2: You take care today, and I'm going to bring back in now on the phone Right now, Chelsea Donaldson, excuse me, they're actually on Zoom, Chelsea Donaldson and Alden Pinkham, uh, Chelsea Donaldson, supervising attorney of the Veterans Benefits Unit at the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. I want to make sure I read your title on here this morning, Chelsea, and still with us, Alden Pinkham, the Connecticut Bar Association Singer Fellow and Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. Chelsea, you're helping these veterans access benefits through the VA with bad paper or an other than honorable discharge. How do you do that? How long does that take generally?
6: Um, so two two different uh questions. So sure. how how do you do that? Um so if you have bad paper, uh an other than honorable discharge or really uh anything other than an honorable or general on your DD-214, like Alden said earlier, the VA presumes you to not be a veteran. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that you are precluded forever from VA services. VA does have a mechanism that allows them to evaluate your service to determine if it is honorable for VA purposes. And what that means is that it does not change your DD-214. Your DD-214 will remain the same, but it's sort of like asking VA, okay, I understand that my DD-214 says this, but if you hear me out and you hear the context about why this happened, you will understand that if this did not happen, I should have gotten an honorable discharge. And I should not be barred from services from VA because of it. So uh, in this process, you essentially have to file for a benefit at VA. Uh, it could be your, an application for health care. It could be an application for service connection. Uh, it could be an application for educational benefits or a home loan. Any benefit of VA will trigger this process. And in this process, a veteran actually has quite a lot of rights. You have the right to a hearing. You have the right to put on evidence on your behalf. uh, You have quite a lot of evidence uh, of of rights to put on evidence to show VA that you should have access to VA. So there is a mechanism in place to help uh, correct, I guess what would be the word. Any mistakes that DoD might have made on the back end to block people from access to VA. Now, all of that sounds great, and it sounds like a, a great system that should work perfectly. But the reality is, is that it does not. And to lead into your second question, Frankie, mm-hmm. this process can take years. Uh, VA right now is exceptionally backlogged, exceptionally backlogged there is a massive uh, backlog from the pandemic that they are still working through. So, you know, VA has not really given ETAs on their aims to end that or uh, how quickly these claims are supposed to go. But even if the initial process goes quickly and you get a decision in six months from filing, what if it gets denied? then you're in the appeal process. And so I have veterans that I have been representing since day one of my job at CVLC mm-hmm. that I am still trying to get full access to VA with uh, because the appeals process can take so long. So it there is a system in place to help these folks, but it is clearly not perfect.
2: <laughs> and I think too, that's the importance of talking to Conley Monk Jr. because you kind of understand what it takes to, to overturn this or make an appeal or something like that. Uh, I just want to remind you both that, unfortunately, I'm running up against the clock here. I only got a few minutes left, so uh, hopefully we can get through a, a couple of these next questions uh, quite quickly. But this first one I want to ask you is very sensitive and uh, very important as well. Some of what we're going to talk to talk about here it may not be suitable for all listeners, but I've spoken to some of the Sanders clients over the years, and they talked to me about needing help for mental health issues, Experiences of military sexual assault. Why are those experiences, Chelsea, so common for your clients?
6: Um. Unfortunately, the military has quite the epidemic of sexual assault in their ranks, um, and that problem is only getting worse. DoD, uh, you know, has released reports of their numbers in terms of reporting, in terms of the sheer number of people that are sexually assaulted in the service, and that number is only getting higher. Uh, So unfortunately, it is very common uh, for veterans who come to CVLC for help, particularly those who also have the double whammy of having bad paper, that they have experienced some form of trauma in the service. Uh, For the first two, ish years of my work at cvlc my entire caseload was military sexual trauma cases and i think that speaks to the breadth of the problem that if an organization needs to hire somebody to only handle these cases that means there's a lot of people out there that have this problem right and you know experiencing trauma and it's not just sexual assault either i think uh you know Alden and her work on this racial disparities report that we have released shows that trauma comes in many forms. And the trauma of racial harassment, racial-based hazing, um, racial-based assault, uh, in addition to sexual assault, in addition to experiencing combat, being in the military can be a very traumatizing experience. And when you put somebody who has experienced this egregious trauma uh, in a place where they don't have adequate access to mental health treatment, their trauma often manifests in what we would look at as misconduct. These NJPs start racking up. They go AWOL because they've experienced a traumatic event. Uh, you know, the the gentleman that just called in, you know, his his dad didn't have help. And the only way he could deal with what had happened to him is that he left. You know, that's a very common experience for quite a lot of people.
2: Alden, we got about a, a less than about 30 to, to a minute here. So very quickly, <laughs> I, I just got to hear why Chelsea does what she does. Why do you do this work?
5: I do this work because I, I believe that we should take care of people. Um, we have the, the VA is an incredible system. Um, it provides very good health care, great benefits, but it shuts out people. It shuts out people who experience mental illness, it shuts out people who experience military sexual trauma, and it shuts out people who have experienced discrimination on the basis of race and other factors as well. And I do that work to, to try to make those institutions align with our values.
2: Chelsea Donaldson, Alden Pinkham with the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. Thank you guys so much for the work you do. It's been such a pleasure to work with the Connecticut uh, Veterans Legal Center over the years to talk about these stories.
6: Thank you you so much.
2: This has been Where We Live. I'm Frankie Graziano. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico, our technical producer today, Kat Pastor. Thank you so much, Katie and Kat, for your work today. Listeners, you can download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. This is Where We Live. I'm Frankie Graziano. Good day.